2: The Twixters. It's me Kate Lister. I am here with your fair dues warning or specifically for this episode ye oldie fair doozy warning. <laughs> I don't think that's right at all. <laughs> but I am here to give it to you anyway. You have to be warned that this is a podcast dealing with adult themes, where adults talk to each other about adulty things. And the adult that I am talking to in today's episode is Eleanor Janega. And if you know anything about Eleanor, you'll know that, quite frankly, she lowers the tone considerably, that she has got a real potty mouth and generally is just obscene and naughty. And there's nothing I can do to stop her. So we will be talking about sex. We will be swearing there's quite a long discussion about pubic hair as well you know and none of this is my fault because I'm very easily influenced and Eleanor is a terrible influence but if you can stomach all of that then let's get into it okay betwixters close your eyes and picture a medieval woman what have you got what what have you come up with what's she doing Is she churning butter? Is she tending to livestock? Is she singing romantically out of a tower window while a bluebird rests on her hand? Is she doing housework? What color hair does she have? What do her teeth look like? What about her body? Is she hairy? Or can medieval women get Brazilian waxes in your imagination? Is she educated? Here's the thing, I don't know what you came up with, but medieval women tend to have a pretty bad rap in the public imagination. And today we are gonna find out what it actually meant to be a proper medieval woman. What was a woman expected to be in this time? How easy was it to live up to these expectations? And of course, how hairy were they? Let's get into some fresh woolen blankets to find out. What do you look for in a man?
0: Oh, money, of course.
2: (laughs) You're supposed to rise when an adult speaks
0: to you. I make perfect copies of whatever my boss needs by just turning the knob and pushing the button.
2: Yes, social courtesy does make a difference.
0: Goodness, what beautiful dance. Goodness has nothing to do with it, Jerry.
2: Hello and welcome back to Betwixt the Sheets, the history of sex, scandal and society with me, Kate Lister. At the time of recording, it is Women's History Month, a time when historians and multinational corporations alike consider how women's roles have changed throughout history. Posts on LinkedIn and Twitter and everywhere else talk about women from the 20th century. They talk about Tudor women, Cleopatra often gets a look in, but there's a regular absence of medieval women. And I think it's because we don't think of them as being very feminist, do we? We think of them as being locked away in towers, wearing chastity belts and waiting for Prince Charming to pull his finger out. Well, in order to try and dispel some of these myths and to find out what it really meant to be a medieval woman, I am overjoyed to have met up with the legend that is Eleanor Janega, and she is here to talk about her new book, The Wants and Future Sex, Going Medieval on Women's Roles in Society. This is her third time on the show. We can't keep her away. Check out her other episodes on ghosts and medieval sex wherever you manage to find this podcast. She's just far too much fun, she really is. And I hope that you enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. Welcome back to Betwixt the Sheets. It's only Eleanor Janega.
1: Again! I live here now. I know you that's do. <laughs> <laughs> There's no one else I'd rather have in my bed. Hey, you and uh, Jason Momoa. Yeah, okay, no, that's fair. That's fair. You'd bring the history though. There's room for all of us.
2: I think so. Yeah. I bet he'd have an interest in medieval history. But anyway, enough of Jason. We are here because it's your book launch, babes. I know. How
1: excited is that? I, I'm really excited. It's my baby. I've been working on it you know, Great for years baby. now. Yeah, and now it's out in the world. Here and she's very beautiful. She is. Uh, this that's... is a sexy book. Mm. The once and future sex. Where did that title come from? It's it's kind of a reference to The Once and Future King, which is about Arthuriana. So essentially what it's doing is flagging people up to the fact that this is a book about medieval things. But also what it's kind of hinting at is the fact that I'm talking about medieval women in the book. Mm. But also the idea that if we really dig into ideas about gender from the past, we can understand our own as well. And then hopefully make a more equitable future. Haha.
2: Nice. Yeah, nailed that. that. Mm -hmm. So So that process can go on for a
1: fucking while, can't it? Yeah. Oh god. Yeah. And and that's the thing is that and then they're gonna like have something really straight laced.
2: Because you now have a lot of trouble publishing anything with the word sex. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. So and it has maybe. Uh, It might hinder things a little bit, to be honest, because there are a lot of controls Mm. about literally selling anything that involves the word sex online. Because people don't think before they make laws. (laughs) No, uh, they don't. Yeah, and it's quite interesting because even if it's something like this, which is uh, very much like a feminist book, it falls under these uh, really kind of draconian measures that are, you know, really about keeping women in their place, right? Because they fall foul of SESTA-FOSTA, which is basically about keeping sex workers offline. Yeah, can't have sex on the internet. Exactly, and so, but it's a really interesting kind of way of thinking about how people like to think that sex work and sex workers is something that happens over there and this is like a bad group of women that yeah. like, you don't need to worry about. But actually, you know, their struggle affects all of us.
2: Absolutely it does. So this is definitely your brain, baby. This is a labor of love. I want to ask you, like, where did it come from? What was the inspiration for this? But I think I just know it's because you're a committed pervert. Oh, uh, that's true. <laughs> 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 yeah,
1: um, It kind of, like, started out, like, from being, you know, a committed pervert who gossips about dead people's sex lives yep. for a living. And the, one of the things that I, you know, continuously notice when you tell people, oh, yeah, I work on medieval history and sex, is they are so confounded by the way that medieval people think about women and sex because medieval people are like oh women are just these insatiable horny sex monsters yep. all they want to do is have sex and people are like oh that's so silly because everybody knows that ladies hate sex actually <laughs> you know and i find that really interesting and important to talk about because really the point of the book is that we are constantly changing what it is that we think women are all the time you know we explain yeah. what women are like constantly and we then come to the conclusion, well, women are bad, and they're less than men. Mm. Right? So men are the good one, and like, women are bad. And the reason women are second class citizens is because of all these silly things about them. But we're constantly changing what's bad about women all the time because in the medieval period it's like oh well women are massively horny so like you can't have them in public life because they'll just be humping chairs you know like. Where did
2: like... that idea come from? I mean were <sighs> medieval women just masturbating frantically all over the place? And... I mean I wouldn't want to pass
1: them. <laughs> like, I'd like to believe yes but it's actually a really really old idea okay. um, so it comes to us really through the transmission from the classical period so you ask anybody like Plato, Aristotle. Oh, I knew they'd be involved. Every time and they're like yeah women are are massively horny. And it's because even for the ancients, sex in and of itself is considered bad. And okay. so the idea here is that sex basically overrides all of your kind of intellectual
2: I mean it kind of does. I'd have to agree with him there. I've done some really
1: fucking dumb things before. Well see there you go. Because you're just an average woman, you know <laughs> It's my lady brain. It's my poor it's lady, lady brain. brain. Right? And so the way that Aristotle looks at it, he says that women are kind of like inside out or deformed men. These right, ways he's losing he puts... me a bit now. Yeah, he's, he's a bit of a dick, right. And so women are kind of just the opposite of everything that a man is. But opposite in a bad way. In a bad way, yeah. Right. So men are like stoic and logical and they can be ideal citizens and they can like contribute to, you know, the Athenian discourse or whatever the hell. But women are stupid, horny lizard people who <laughs> you know, are basically just trying to fight all the time and also hump things. So the idea is that, like, men can overcome this, but women can't, right? Right. And so medieval people then, you know, they're just massively hard for any ancient, right, especially Aristotle. Yeah, they
2: never updated no. their medical text, did they? It no. was very much about digging out the classics.
1: Mm-hmm. You just, like, look to the classics, and then you kind of do this thing where you go, oh, yeah, and Jesus on top of <laughs> it. <laughs> so, and when you add the Bible in, things are also, like, really point to, oh, well, women are horny, because you just go and you look at the Garden of Eden.
2: Yeah, but men are fucking on in the Bible, too. Solomon with his 850...
1: Why? Yeah, but like, that's fine. That's all right. is it? Yeah, but it's really interesting because you you see all this kind of like mental gymnastics around that, Mm. right? Like even in the conception of medieval sex work, right? Where it's like, oh, yeah, well, sex work has to exist because, you know, if men don't have an outlet to have sex, then they'll just like riot and burn the city down. So you better have (laughs) sex workers for unmarried men. So clearly, men are like horny enough that they might like burn shit to the ground if they don't have access to sex, but women are the horny ones
2: do you still see that rhetoric raising its head from time to time, like, oh, yeah, especially yeah. around modern incel mm-hmm. assholes? Like I occasionally see somebody saying, "Oh, can't sex workers have sex? With me? Can't they pay to have sex?" Yeah, and it's like kind of like, "Don't offer sex workers up as some kind of buffer." <laughs> it's for like uh, insane men. It's like, "Oh yeah, oh like that
1: violent guy, like that why violent don't, guy who murders people. Why don't you have sex with him?" Yeah, and this is the the really interesting thing because whenever you hear people say that, it's like that's a genuinely medieval view.
2: That is, I, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. And I'm
1: constantly losing my rag because someone is like, oh, that's so medieval, like whenever just something is bad. And I'm like, this is a case where that's medieval. It yeah. that is actually unfortunately yeah. medieval.
2: Right. So I'm trying to get like to the bottom of what did medieval people think of women? And mm-hmm. this is actually it's a huge question because medieval it's actually about a thousand years of history isn't it yeah it's, it's a vast swathe
1: yeah and obviously we know a little bit more about kind of the later period because yeah. you know it's just closer to us than yeah. you know further in the back like you know the eighth century is a really long time ago but it's interesting because you can see kind of kernels of things in there that go along but there's certain things so for example i really talk about beauty standards a lot in this yes and we spent a long time like in the earlier medieval period where we just don't really talk about what we think a hot woman is and that's really much closer to the kind of ancient Greek way of thinking about things. So if you go back and look at like ancient Greek texts when they talk about what a hot woman is, which is what medieval people were doing, yeah. right? Because medieval people were like, I can't possibly think a woman is hot if Aristotle didn't think she was hot. <laughs> like, I wouldn't, how would I ever? So they go back and look at all these texts and they're like, OK, well, let's go see how they describe Helen of Troy, because right? Right. she's the hottest woman. How do ruler. they
2: describe Helen of she's Troy? She's blonde. Right.
1: That's it. That's it? That's it. And also sometimes they're like, she's the cutest. And like, that is it. And so that's all we know. And then, like, you know, in descriptions of the Trojan Wars, like sometimes Briseis or Polyxenia, they will get described and they're like, Well, Briseis is tall. Polyxenia, she's not tall. Right, so lots of different. So, yeah, so there's like nothing at all to go on. And it's quite interesting because it's very much like a beauty is in the eye of the beholder type of situation. Right, okay. And then when you're in the earlier medieval period, When people describe women as being beautiful, they're just like, Oh yeah, she's beautiful, and then like that's it. And then that's no detail, right? Right. Then from the twelfth century forward, they're like, No guys, like we've got to get this down. And they kind of like come up with what a beautiful woman is. And it becomes really ossified. So they scan from the head down to the toes. Who's scanning? Who's doing this? Who's writing this? So there's like this guy, uh, Geoffrey of Vintsoff, who's right. like, he writes this whole uh, basically guidebook on how to write poetry. And he's like, hey, if you want to describe a sexy woman, this is what a sexy woman
2: what is. What did he say is a sexy woman? Okay,
1: so she's got blonde hair, um, a high hairline. You've got to have like... A, I do have hairline. a high
2: forehead. Oh, um, you, okay, you're too. in.
1: You're in, baby. Okay, right, okay. Um, you got to have arched eyebrows, preferably black. I could nip to boots and go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so <laughs> grey eyes. Blue eyes. Yeah, like blue is okay. okay. Gray is better. They, okay. A nose that is neither too big nor too small. I think I'd do that. That's okay. Yeah, okay. that's fine. Yeah. White skin. I did fake tan the other night. Yeah. See that? You're right. I'm right, not. Yeah. No. And then you got to have like a cheeks like roses. Yeah. No. I'm, yeah. A mouth like a rosebud. Uh, white teeth. They could be white teeth. Yeah. yeah. Well, they always could, right? A neck like a swan. Definitely not. no. Yeah. Small shoulders. No. Small high breasts. No. A pot belly. Yes. A uh, dump truck ass. Yes. Okay, yeah, thick thighs. Yes. Uh, feet. I have feet. There you go. <laughs> so, you know, like, you're, the checklist's pretty good, right? I right? am
2: medieval hot.
1: Yeah, there you go. So. I'd be
2: on tapestries all over the ancient world. Yeah,
1: and it's like, that is what it is. And it, really, l- they like to the fat ass in a pot belly. Oh, God, yeah. They are like pear-shaped baby. They're like, they don't want to see titties. They're like, really? those titties better be up by your armpits. Or, Do you see that in medieval
2: yeah. paintings when it looks odd. It looks like the breasts are trying to go in different directions. Yeah, and they're like,
1: meep. Right, that's that's, that's what they got to be like. <laughs> so... Like they're looking for that pear shape and they are hardcore about it to the point where you know if I remember online and like posting pictures of like, you know, a hot medieval babe who's naked people are like, "Why is she pregnant?" and I'm like, "Uh, that's her luscious little belly." Wow. That's why they and you know, so now we just don't think that's hot at all. Oh but
2: God, it's not that I'm not hot. Years. It's I was born hundreds of years too late.
1: You know, well what I would argue, babe, is that perhaps creating an archetype that is really rigid of being like, <laughs> the only way to be hot is this one thing, is a social construct right, Oh yeah like not, Okay,
2: to... that's right. We're not doing that. Okay. Because yeah. like, oh, don't take that away from me. I was really excited
1: then. But this is like the thing, right? Because now when you see like, uh, women that we call hot, there'll be like all these nerd ass nerds who are like, uh, actually, it's evo psychology and we evolved this way to think that this particular woman is hot. And I'm like, oh, really? Because for 700 years, they wanted like chicks that were just like packing a Booming mm-hmm. system in the back and like that's all they wanted so it can't possibly be evolutionary this is just the uh, social and like that's is, fine. Is there anything that has been constant? I suppose being healthy probably. like uh, things Cleanliness, and, cleanliness good and good skin. Yeah
2: sparkly eyes probably.
1: Yeah and that is always universal so even now there's only like a couple of universals in terms of what everybody mm. finds attractive and it's like cleanliness and good skin.
2: But so, even in the medieval period washing yourself yeah, very important. And if Huge. we can just say a public service, public announcement. service announcement
1: that medieval people bathe. Oh my God, please, right. please leave me alone. Medieval people <laughs> washed. They were and
2: they oh, were really yeah. fastidious about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: because it's very much a cleanliness as an extra godliness sort mm. of thing. It's uh, you know keeping clean is well a really comfortable and everyone gets that. Yeah. and b it's kind of like seen as uh, keeping yourself pure. In the the same way that it is now, really. It can't have been
2: as easy to keep yourself no. clean co- because like I rolled out of my hotel bed this morning and pretty much rolled into the shower and mm-hmm. there was free soap and like this antibac on hand. Medieval people they didn't even have like running sewers. Yeah. Thi- so like how if you cause we're in London right now and if you're a medieval person mm-hmm. in London and you want to keep clean.
1: It must be quite tricky. So how do they do it? Yeah. So what you would do when you rolled out of bed in the morning is you would probably go stand in a wooden tub and you would just take some water and just give yourself a good wipe down. A hose wash. Yeah. That's horse. What we yeah used exactly. To yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you would like soap yourself up. You'd wash in like real quick. Did wash they have down. soap? They have soap. And in fact, it's one of these things where soap massively kind of like expands as an industry in Europe, specifically during the Middle Ages. What well, did they make soap out of? They make it out of ash, lye, and oil. Does that work? It does, yeah. So it's like, it's pretty much the same recipe for soap from time. Well, no, not, not time at really? Memorial, yeah. Yeah, so like, um, you know, big centers of soap production still exist. So like Marseille in France, like they were making soap then, they're making it now. Castile. Where so the sm- soap comes they from, they would
2: have smelled French. Yeah, they would
1: have. But here's two things, right? right so sorry. rich people probably have that French soap, and rich people are probably like having, you know, the nice soap that comes from Italy and stuff. If you are a normal person, you probably make your own, but it's totally something that you can make and yeah, something yeah. that they do. So they make their own soap. You just give yourself a good wash down. Then, like maybe once a week, you go for like the full bath.
2: That's because they had public bathing, didn't they? Mm -hmm. That's something, my students are always really surprised when I tell them that, that like, how many friends have you had that you've got in the bath with?
1: Yeah, and for them, it's just like, this is like the leisurely thing to do. You'd be like, come on, everybody, we're going down to the bathhouse, and you just like kick it, and you know, it's just like, it's spa day, and you know, it's just completely fine, but you got a really different understanding of kind of what privacy is in the middle ages like the idea of privacy is just like not there okay you know like you sleep kind of in a room with six other people and you and the homies go get naked down the baths yeah it's just not considered the same sort of way that we do now
2: okay so there is soap Mm -hmm. where would they get water from if they lived in a city
1: so in the city, there are wells and fountains and places that you would get that. Here, often, too, people do get Thames water. Like, you'll, you can go down to the Thames and do it. But a lot of the times, it's wells and springs and stuff. So you have, like, fountains and stuff around. Okay. So that definitely exists.
2: So you've given yourself a bit of a horse wash until you can go with your mates mm-hmm. and get in the tub with your neighbours as mm-hmm, well, mm-hmm, apparently. Mm-hmm. What about things like uh, bad breath or combing your hair or mm-hmm. makeup or anything like that? Like, how do you put your face on? in Yeah, the middle okay.
1: so um, they do brush their teeth. They've got like little kind of twigs and stuff that they brush their teeth with. And interestingly, that's kind of as good as it gets until the 1960s. Because it's not until we started adding fluoride to toothpaste that toothpaste did anything. (laughs) Like, it might make your breast smell good, but it's like, it is not fighting, like, like, the actual scrubbing is what cleans your teeth before then. So, fine. So, you know, it's pretty much exactly the same level. And probably they have better teeth than a lot of us do anyway because they just don't have as much Mm. access to sugar. Like, they are not eating cane sugar, like, constantly because we're living that good life, baby. So, there's that. A lot of makeup. Girls will make their own. And we have lots of really cool recipe books about this. A big famous one is called The Trotula. And it was allegedly written by Trotto Salerno. But Trotto Salerno, we know, definitely wrote this bit that is, like, about midwifery. And it's like, here's how you, like, birth babies and stuff. And then what medieval people do is, like, when they want to get their cosmetic guide out they just like start putting it together oh that's that. clever and then they're right. like yeah Trot of Salerno wrote this thing and there's all sorts of things that you can do so they make like face whitening powders they've got regular old powder just to kind of like get the blot off they make lipstick they make blush they have various kind of like washes that you can put over your face. And even people like uh, Hildegard of Bingen had like, oh yeah, she was like a skincare girly. And she was all like, oh yeah, here's my she, like- she's she a nun? Yeah, she's a nun. Oh, okay. and, and she was all like, oh, here's like a really good like skin softener for if you've got like wind chapped. What was her skin softener? It was uh, like a barley water thing where you kind of like boil down barley with some varying flowers and stuff. And apparently that works because I think there's like some glucose or something that kind of like comes off the barley. Nice. So yeah, so you know, they have these things. Some of some of them get quite wild though. Uh, so for example like depilatory creams like in order to get rid of hair because, oh, fuck off. because no. they really want that you know and they're they're doing their legs and they'll like do their pubes as well like it goes all the way oh no yeah but they make some depilatory creams and baby is bad what do they put like, in like some of them are like literally kind of like caustic Shit. and and so they'll be like oh yeah and it's like this will definitely get rid of your hair and then they're like <laughs> I'm and here's what you put on afterwards on like them and, and so like some of them are like nasty nasty right come on hit me yeah so like it starts off pretty nice and it's like mm. oh there's iris root and you're like okay like iris roots in everything I I don't know why so there's like oh there's iris root and there's camphor okay okay and then they're like uh, carbolic acid and you're like girl what and I'm like hey where am I coming up with this but like apparently they're like that's around the joint did they have Brazilians then? Yeah. I mean, you know, burnt flesh, Appar- but Brazilians. Apparently, they're like just straight up waxing and stuff like that, big in the Italian lands.
2: I have read that actually. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. um, a lot of people coming back from Italy commenting on the fact that their courtesans didn't have pubic hair. So yeah, it yeah, must yeah. have been a thing.
1: It was a really big thing. And so, like, it's specifically talked about as things that women do to please their husbands. And it's, you know, kind of like right in there. Yeah. Always.
2: Actually, while we're talking about this, and I know that your book is like, it's, it's focused a lot on women. Was anybody writing about what a fit man is in the medieval period? Did they have pot bellies and big asses?
1: Interestingly, there's these, you're, well, I say interestingly because you're not going to be surprised. So the way of kind of thinking about the ideal woman and the ideal man is like really different in that like the ideal woman is a maiden. Maiden kind of describes this sort of liminal zone kind of like we talk about teenagers. Yeah. Where it's like, So yeah, you are a virgin in theory, but it also is kind of like expressing this time of life where uh, men think you're hot, but you haven't done anything about it right so it's kind of like the promise of sexuality without like all of the oh now she's a slut kind right so uh that's like it for women so the ideal woman is kind of younger to the point where you know you will see things like if somebody's child dies like in the pearl poem which is about a father who kind of like goes and sees his dead child in heaven and she like dies when she's two in heaven she's a maiden and she's like 20 because that's the ideal body and that's what you get for men Middle age is ideal, oh, which is so it's right. like in the, in, the for, in your 40s. That's like oh, what the ideal man is. That's so unfair. And it really sucks, right? Where it's kind of like, yeah, you just kind of like get there. And, and so this is a really interesting thing. If you ever see, for example, the Last Judgment paintings that you get from the medieval period, when everyone's getting up out of their grave to like go see St. Michael and yes, be like, do yes, I get to go to I heaven? And everybody's naked because like that, that's their little souls. And all the women look the same, like the ideal hot woman. And all the men are in their 40s. And it's just like, it's right? It's just so on the nose about it's what these guys are. because they
2: realize that teenage boys aren't Yeah, they cannot
1: possibly be <laughs> ideal. And that's kind of actually part of it because they're considered like so hot and dry, right? In humoral theory, it's like they're burning too hot. They're too wild with it. Right. And like they need to settle down a little bit whereas women because they're colder and wetter start out colder and wetter you're just becoming colder and colder and wetter all the time and that uh, is kind of like what leads to death it's thought so like aging is thought of as a process of becoming colder and wetter over the life cycle god
2: that's uh, right okay um. so you know
1: it's nothing that you won't hear from some incel now I mean, you get that if you look at most Hollywood films, like the guy is years and years older than mm-hmm. his leading lady. Yeah, it's like, you know, the minute you turn like 26, it's like, all right, spinster. Tick tock, tick tock, tick tock. <laughs> like, get, get in the closet with <laughs> you that. You are we're now not too to... cold and wet. Exactly, like we're not having it. So, you know, we haven't really come that far on that. No,
2: part. we really haven't, have we? God, that's depressing.
1: Right, okay, so middle-aged men are hot in the medieval period.
2: we we'll be back with Eleanor after this short break.
0: wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by History Hit.
2: I'm Professor Susanna Lipscomb, and on my podcast, Not Just the Tudors from History Hit, I try to make sense of everything that baffled our early modern ancestors. Like, what do you do with your waist? If you put your dunghill up against your neighbour's wall, you're going to cause rising
0: dump. Would Henry VIII ever consider executing his wife, the Queen of England, Anne Boleyn? I'm not even sure if the Boleyns took it seriously, because why would they have any reason to suspect Henry VIII would really get rid of his queen? And why do men
2: grow beards? During puberty, the male body heats up and a smoke rises in the body, pushes out the hair in the face. So the beard is actually a form of excrement. In other words, not just the Tudors, but most definitely also the Tudors. Twice a week, every week. Listen and follow on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Right. One of the most interesting things about your book, and there's a lot in it that I really liked, but like you actually uncover a lot of jobs that women did. Because we don't tend to think about, like, when you think about what jobs do people have, mm-hmm. women have, in the medieval period. And you kind of, you might think, uh, nun, possibly, mm-hmm. wife, mm-hmm. harlot. And that's your
1: three. And that's your three, right? That's your three. Yeah. That's what you've got. And, like, don't get me wrong, those are all available jobs. But the thing that we have to remember is that all those mums are also working. And, you know, there's a a whole feminist point that we can make here about how, like, being a mom, (laughs) rather a lot of work. Oh, my God. Yeah. Please help. Uh, especially in, you know, the medieval period when, like, you're probably going to die in childbirth in the first place. And that's Which grim, is grim. Yeah. It's grim. And then it's like, when you have to make your own bread and, like, manually wash all of the stuff in your household, you know, and you are... And make coo- your own soap. Make your own soap. Yep. You're cooking dinner over an open fire. Like, you know, household Ooh. work is just, like, so much more difficult. But you're still also doing other work. So, you know, obviously 80% to 85% of the European population are peasants. So you're also farming. Did they know they were peasants? Yeah, I mean, because for them, they're just like, I'm a farmer. That's what that okay, means. So. And then right. and that's what they do, right? Okay. And so, you know, you get up in the morning and you're plowing the fields and you're taking care of the animals and all of the regular old farmy chores. And there isn't anything that male peasants were doing that female peasants weren't doing.
2: Because you point out women blacksmiths.
1: Oh yeah! So it's like when you get I to the, didn't know that. Yeah, when you get to the trades, women are doing every single trade as well. Like even to the point where we have examples of women mercenary soldiers or like women city guards. Fuck off! What? Yeah, so it's like women just like get around places, I and mean, we had women mercenary guards. Yeah, we're like girl, I'm just Who trying were to get they? paid. We, they were just cool. What? But like you know, like when you're hiring a bunch of mercenaries, which people are doing, like you don't really care as long as they can swing a sword. Who I cares? That is true. Isn't you it? know, so okay. it's like you know, there's always been sword lesbians, right? <laughs> so it's representation. That's what matters. Wow. So basically, we know that at the Tower of London there were several specific women blacksmiths. So like right. Never blues. hear about that. And you never hear about it, and it happens for a couple of reasons, right? Because the first of all, is that like when you're a woman and you're married, most of the time you're doing the same trade that your husband does. Okay. And then you also do the books for him because it's like that's feminized work, mm. is the bookkeeping. But it's expected that when you get married, you probably do the same trade that your husband does and that you're like a help me. Okay. So if you are getting married, it's really likely also that you're going to marry someone who has the same trade as your dad because you will have like been brought up I guess knowing all sense. about how to do that. And then that makes you a really good marriage prospect for other people. So we don't really hear about it though because of coverture which is like the process by which when a woman gets married it's kind of like Mr and Mrs Thomas Smith right. or whatever and then it's like well we don't even know her name we just know that no. like she was here right and it's really difficult to kind of like get people excited sometimes when you don't even know anybody's name mm. or anything like that so there's this kind of process of losing the women who are doing all these interesting trades that just kind of happens as a result of the way records are recorded
2: wow what was the most unusual profession that you found? I mean, I know that you're well versed in all this stuff, so it'd take a lot to shock you. Mm. But was there anything that you would just like, oh my god, a
1: medieval female traffic warden? But I was really impressed by like the city guards stuff because like mercenaries, mm. I was like, okay, well that kind of makes sense because it's like, well who really cares when it's like lads on parade, you know, True. or whatever. But city guards is really quite interesting. Because that's like, oh well you're in your local community and everybody understands that she's doing this and yeah, you know, yeah. they're willing to train her up along with the lads. So it says a lot more about connection to your community and then trusting you with kind of like having this level of physical capacity and being able to like meet out physical violence. Whereas, you know, with mercenaries all you gotta do is like being cut off from people is kind of the point of it, isn't it?
2: We've gotta talk about nuns, because that is a
1: profession. It is. And like, people forget about it, like, it's a calling, but it is a profession. It's also a
2: punishment, we forget that, that that's mm-hmm. where the naughty girls went as yeah,
1: well. Yeah, you can get sent off to be a nun if you're a naughty girl, but the thing about being a nun is that you're not just like hanging out and praying, the entire point of kind of like being a monk or nun is this thing, they call it ora et labore, so praying and working. Ora
2: et labore. Yeah, right. prayers
1: and work. And the work that you do is a couple of different things, like there's the work to just kind of keep the convent running. So like somebody's got to be doing the gardening, someone's got to cook. But they're also doing all kinds of interesting things like copying manuscripts, making art, like so there's a, like a lot of librarian nuns, a lot of library girlies. Okay. Like that's going off big. But another thing that they do is they also a lot of times do work in their communities. So. Sometimes they work specifically in hospitals. So, for example, at the Hotel Dieu in Paris, like there is a lot of nuns there who are working in hospitals. And the first hospitals really are monasteries and nunneries where anyone can just show up and be like, "I'm sick, homie," and then they'll be like, "Oh yeah, here's your bed," and then you kind of get taken care of. Right. Okay. Right. But this is kind of a double edged sword because sometimes nuns are working in hospitals, and sometimes it's like, I don't really know if you can let nuns work with sick people because uh, they're women, so they're so horny <laughs> that, <laughs> that they're gonna like shag their patients. Because it goes, oh, you know, like I love it, I love it when he's got the pox, you know, or something. I don't know. The plague is so sexy. Yeah, and so like there is this kind of worry about it. So sometimes you'll have groups of nuns that work with the public, and then they'll be retracted. And um, it can kind of vary place to place. But it's quite an interesting one because actually women are doing a lot of kind of medical work in the medieval yeah. period more generally. So it would make sense for nuns to be doing it, but there's just this kind of worry because like the whole point is that you're not supposed to have sex when you're a nun, obviously. That doesn't always happen.
2: So like but, they would be there in the day, and then they'd have to say, I'm sorry, I'm not on the night
1: shift because I might try and shag you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it's like the monks take over. that that Mm -hmm. everyone feels much safer now yeah exactly right (laughs) and it's like you know because like if they're that apocalyptically horny when they just like shag the patient during the day
2: yeah you don't need to do Mm. Mm -hmm.
1: did that ever happen I mean, I don't know. I can't say it didn't, to be fair, right? A thousand like, years of history. Like, a somebody must have Somebody did. And, and then nuns get yeah. up to some stuff in the Middle Ages. Like, one of my favorite nuns ever, uh, Joan of Leeds. Leeds. Yeah, Woo! Boop, shout out. Boop, boop. Uh, she ran off from being a nun. And, like, she does this, like, huge ruse where she, like, makes a dummy of herself and puts it in bed. And everyone goes, oh, Joan is dead. And, like, she, like, lights out um, and, like, takes off with some guy. And they're like, oh, this is a dummy, oh, hell. Like, And then there's like an APB put out. They're like, everyone go find Joan. And the bishop is all she has left her nunnery to pursue the way of carnal lust. Go Joan. And they never found her, I don't think.
2: I bet she went to Headingley. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> there's a weather there, I bet There you that's go, that's is. it. That's, she's that's still where there Joan to this day.
2: Still went on the WKD two for
1: one deal. Uh, <laughs> we've all been there, you know. Talk to me about education. Oh yeah, okay. So this is quite an interesting one because women are excluded from some forms of education in the medieval period. Like a woman can't really attend university. Can't really or just
2: can't? Well, wow. this is the thing. Ooh. Okay. So uh,
1: in theory, they cannot because all members of the university have to be members of the clergy. And this is kind of like their way of keeping the lads out of trouble. So okay. when they do something like run out on their tavern bill and don't pay it, instead of calling the cops because they're members of the church, you just tell the bishop. And the bishop goes, lads, don't do don't it do again. That. So women can't then go to university because they can't become uh, clerics, essentially. So like, that takes you out. However, you'll see examples of these women who pop up and they are kind of like teaching at the university. So like, there's a woman we have on the records like teaching at Salerno. And you're like, how did you get there? Like how are you a professor? And they never explain it. They're just like, "Just yeah, her. What?
2: We don't know no, how to do how, that.
1: No, no. So it's like I can't say that she didn't go to university, but it, like you're not supposed to. But what was he teaching? She was teaching medicine, and a lot of the time with this like medicine is this kind of like specifically feminine thing because the medical worker that you're probably going to see the most in your life if you're the average person in the middle ages is a midwife and so like midwives do of course help with labor and you know pregnancy and things like that but they also just kind of see to everything so it's like you know if you are in Headingley you probably see the midwife when you have a cold. Yeah. And then she'll be like, okay, yeah, like, I dug out some L campaign roots and, like, here's your tincture or whatever. You are probably not going to see a physician who's been, like, trained at Salerno or something like that. Because that's for rich people. Right, yep. Yeah. will sh- like Boopa. Yeah, like, they're going to show up at courts. And they will maybe be working in like Paris or big cities like that. You're not gonna see one of those Mm-mm. in your country town. No. But there becomes this interesting thing over the Middle Ages where in the later period to be a physician you then have to have gone to university which you didn't necessarily have to do before okay. that. Um, and then someone is like, we gotta sort all of this out. Okay, like now you actually have to have like a degree in order to be a physician. Which is why, you know, whenever anyone pulls that stupid thing about like, oh, PhDs aren't real doctors, MDs are, Uh, baby, no, PhDs as doctors was invented first. It was just physician for a really long time. But we
2: are shit in a medical emergency most of the time. Yeah,
1: yeah that's true. I will faint if you bleed. But I mean, anyway. I'll have a go at it, though. All right. <laughs> OK. But like, so this is the thing. So as that goes on, it kind of like shuts down opportunities for a lot of women. Yeah. Because it's like, well, I don't have a university degree, so am I a physician? But then there are still these weird loopholes, because like women can sort of like buy licenses from the city. So, like, we see in Paris women who are like, yeah, here's my physician license, and they're like, well, yep, all your papers are in order. So there are, people sort of know it's stupid, and there are obviously these workarounds. Right,
2: okay. But there's,
1: like, a lot of women who are doing it. Now, in terms of a regular old education for the average person, though, women are doing a lot of the actual educating. So you see women as teachers all the time. So, like, women will be, like, teaching maths to a group of young boys, and, you know, women are... Often the ones who are kind of like teaching rudimentary reading to their children and things like that. So it's kind of like a standard part of mothering is the basic numeracy. If, you know, you can read, your mom will have kind of like taught you how to do that. So women are involved at kind of the more regular levels of education. But the highest echelons, it's mostly men, except when a woman shows up and no one explains to me how Nobody she got there.
2: Exp- like, I read somewhere that. When Cleopatra was supposed to seek royal advice, women weren't allowed to do it, so she put a fake beard on.
1: <laughs> I don't know if that's true. I like m- that.
2: But maybe they just turned up, like in that scene in The Life of Brian, yeah, they just, just like, got yeah. beards on.
1: <laughs> and this is the thing, because it's interesting, because when a woman shows up like that and she's at these really lofty levels of education, and no one explains how she got there it's sort of like well it can't have been that weird it can't have been that weird because if it was really weird they would have been like here's my massive explanation about what this woman is doing here but it's
2: like almost nonchalant it's yeah. just barely worth yeah. even mentioning that was just how accepted
1: God, that's fascinating isn't it mm-hmm. it's I, really frustrating
2: it's really frustrating who were they how did they get there yeah and
1: I'm like I just want to know your life story girl and were they wearing pretend beards yeah
2: Eleanor, I can't keep talking to you, because you have to go and be fabulous on your book launch That's day. day. But, final question. If Mm. there is one thing from your book that you were desperate for people to get out, what would it be? I know that you want, everyone to know that medieval people washed. Yeah,
1: that's (laughs) a big one. (laughs)
2: That's the hill that you will die on. But, like, apart from that one, what what kind of myth-busting thing?
1: I mean, that
2: medieval women existed? (laughs) (laughs)
1: Like, half the time when you talk about medieval history, you could be forgiven for thinking there weren't any because people go "Oh, like, well, there's Eleanor of Aquitaine. There was four. Yeah. Yeah. And like, no one ever thinks about that. So, you know, there's this whole huge era of history where women existed and they're doing really interesting things and they're doing everything that men are. And, you know, history isn't just about like some douche with a sword who like starts wars. Like history is every single part of society and how people rub along. Mm. And it's kind of women that are making that go forward. And you know, it's interesting.
2: Absolutely. And if people want to know more about you and your book,
1: where can they find you? Uh, yeah, you can find the book wherever good oh. books are sold. Oh. You can check me out on Twitter while it's still alive. Oh God, at, don't even. At Going Medieval. Um, I've got several very good and nice shows to watch on the History Hit Network, including one coming up that we are filming soon about medieval work and women in the Middle Ages, which will be very exciting. And yeah, you can check out my blog, which is going-medieval.com. Thank you so much for talking to me today. This has been so much fun. Thank you so much for having me.
2: (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. And thank you to Eleanor for joining me yet again. I really hope that she hurries up and writes another book because it's just too much fun talking to her. And if you like what you heard, Please don't forget to like, review and subscribe wherever it is that you get your podcasts. And if you have something you'd like us to look into, if there's a history book that's just come out or perhaps your favourite one and you want us to interview the author, you can now email us at betwixt at historyhit.com. Join me again, Betwixt the Sheet, The History of Sex, Scandal and Society, a podcast by History Hit.
0: Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.
2: Thank you for listening to this episode of Betwixt the Sheets. Please follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us and you'll be doing us a big favor. Don't forget, you can also listen to all these podcasts ad-free and watch hundreds of documentaries when you subscribe at History Hit dot com forward slash subscribe. As a special gift, you can get your first three months for just one pound a month when you use the code betwixt at checkout.